the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 21 Pride Special 2019 Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And I'm Alan Fogg. This is our Pride Special, which we're recording uh, in July 2019. And tonight... Well, tonight we have decamped to sunny Stoke-on-Trent. We have. We're not so, in Michigan. So this is almost outside broadcast. It is real. We're not at Podcasting House for once. And the reason we've decamped to sunny Stoke-on-Trent is, this, cause we're, is because this is where I live. So we're in my house with my lovely partner. To watch an evening of gay-themed drama to celebrate Pride Month. I've got some interesting things for us to watch. Mm. Um, we'll launch into the uh, first episode of Your First Choice in a second. Before we do, it's time to whip out the tonic screwdriver. What have we got for tonight? Tonight we have the... It's water. Quite. A bit of a spoiler there. Mm. Um, tonight we have the official gin of London Pride, and it can keep it. Yeah, it I is have to say. horribly disappointing. Talked when we first started doing gin reviews about gins that have been so over distilled they lose any flavour and become vodka. This is it. Yeah, it's. I really, really wanted this to be. Yeah, I, I wanted it to to be something really good for for the special, but it's a one. Yeah, um, I mean, it's no, it's not Mason's tea gin bad. It's just a bit. Well, at least that that had a positive flavour. It wasn't a nice flavour. No, it had a flavour. This is like drinking vodka. Yeah, it's a bit Doctor Who series eleven for me. It's meh. It's not bad enough to hate, but it's not good enough. But to it's do. supposed to be gin, and it, it is. It is. Even the tea gin was gin. It was nasty gin, but it was gin. This is just bland to the point of nothingness. You'd expect a bright gin to be fruity and full of flavour or just something completely different. But It is cruising in the one area, to, so to speak, Alan. It's, you're, you're allowed to laugh, mate. Don't worry about it. You'll get into the feel of it. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to have to be uh, one out of five Bernards for me as well. Alan, what would you say? I think you've already summed it up with your initial reaction. Well, is there a scale of zero? Because that's a zero. That's to me is water. No taste. <gasps> First zero Bernard's <laughs> well. Welcome to the podcast. Cheers. <laughs> it's very telling that you've taken one sip of it and gone straight onto the port. It tastes a lot better. It tastes. We'll finish it, but... Uh, we'll force it down. We'll force it down. Uh, with that, uh, there may be... I think it's likely there'll be a... The tonic screwdriver will be coming out for a second bottle at some point during this yes, session. Yes, because I actually have some nice gin in as well. Fantastic. Uh, but we will crack on straight away with the first episode of the evening. What have we got for tonight? Tonight we are starting off by watching Man in an Orange Shirt, which was a Patrick Gale two-part drama from 2017. And it was part of the BBC's Gay Britannia series to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the 1967 legal act that decriminalised homosexuality. I love Patrick Gale. I've been reading his books since the 80s. They've gone from a sort of fantastical quality to absolutely superb family drama. Both are brilliant. He's written what, uh, one of my all-time favourite books ever, The Thing Called The Cat Sanctuary. He is a wonderful, wonderful author. And if there's anybody who uh, wants a recommendation of quality writing, 
Patrick Gale is that writ large. He currently um, runs the the most southwestern farm in the country. He lives in the very tip of Cornwall. I can't think of anything to say to the fact that you come out with sometimes. Shall we run VT and see what this is like? Well, you already know, and Alan, you're, you've enthused about this before it's even gone in the player, so uh, I'm coming to this blind. I don't know anything about the author, don't know anything about the story. Let's see what it's about. Run VT. Granny, we found it in a cupboard to Flora Michael Thomas. Who's Thomas? Man in an orange shirt. Thomas, stay with me. Michael. So how well did you know Thomas March? You surely didn't think that we could set up house together like man and wife. Grandpa was gay. Grandpa was gay. Thomas is in prison. He needs you. Okay, that was episode one of The Man in an Orange Shirt. As with all BBC stuff, Beautifully done. Uh, it was a period piece set in uh, the very tail end of World War Two, crossing into rationing Britain, and it was a lovely piece of TV. Very well acted. A cast of stars in it. They're all people that you've heard of, but you're not quite sure where you've heard them, apart from Francis de la Tour. I think there are only a couple that you would actually have heard of, but most of them you'd sort of seen you've before. seen in So things, yeah. Vanessa Redgrave, who doesn't appear very much in, mm. in this episode, she's, she's more featured in the second episode, and Francis de la Tour. And other than that, I don't think really think there's anybody that you'd, you'd be able to put a name to. There's lots of people you'd be able to say, oh, where have I seen them before? Laura Carmichael's in it, and she was a recurring character, or one of the main characters in Downton Abbey. It was a very, very similar role to the one that she plays in this, the haughty, uh, upper-class, generic female role, to be quite honest. Very much a supporting part in this. The best friend on the park bench while they're walking prams. No, the rest of them I've seen in other things, I just can't place where I've seen them. Yeah, you see, I, I never watched Downton Abbey. I, didn't I loved it. Oh, it, Downton oh, Abbey was brilliant. It was brilliant. Yeah. I did enjoy it. Yeah, that that it was, was. I was a bit soap to, opera for me. Oh, it was beautifully done. Uh, Julian Fellows did Downton Abbey, and it was. And there's uh, the film is due out this summer. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Downton Abbey was a beautiful bit of TV, and one of those that it deserves the hype for me. The bits that I've seen, I thought were very well done. I just didn't find it particularly interesting. I, I thought it was the sort of thing. It looked like the sort of thing that you could watch Gosford Park and basically have seen the entire lot. Sort of. It's cruising in the... Cruising. I must stop using that word in this special. Um, we're in the sort of same area as uh, Gosford Park, but it was just at a different... They, they hurled money at Downton Abbey, and the writing was good, and the storylines were good. And I've seen clips with Maggie Smith, mm. and I, Maggie Smith was being Maggie Smith. She, <laughs> she chews the scenery, but incredibly entertaining. Oh, she, Maggie Smith's fantastic. I could watch her in anything. Uh, but dragging it back... To As the, it were. <laughs> I just can't help myself. It's not even intentional. Alan was sort of dominating this. What are your thoughts on that? Beautifully well written. I thought the production of it was first class in terms of attention to detail, the character. The way the actors played the role, the portrayal of it was very well done. And the BBC's always done period drama to look absolutely spot on. And I've just realised that we've been rhapsodising about how wonderful this is and we haven't actually said anything about the plot. Oh, this is your department. Go on. Off right. You. So the plot, as Ken said, starts off at the tail end of the Second World War. 
starts with Flora, a school teacher, um, who is writing to her fiance in the, at the front line, Michael. Through her, through her letters, you get the, the impression of a young couple in love. You see, you then see Michael at the at the front, surrounded by death and mayhem in a command of a dwindling group of uh, soldiers who are getting picked off by artillery fire. Their supply lines have been cut off and it's looking pretty disastrous. There is an injured soldier under his command who he knew at he'd known at boarding school, who's an artist. They both ma- um, managed to escape from the the shelling and meet up again in a, a field hospital and start talking to each other, establish a rapport. Michael goes to find the artist when he, uh, the artist whose name is Thomas, when the, when the war finishes. And they end up falling in love and they, they spend this idyllic week together at Michael's country uh, cottage before reality strikes. And they have to come back to London and Michael marries Flora. Thomas is there as the the best man, obviously, to smiling through the tears, very stoic, but upset that he's losing the love of his life. Um, Michael and Flora aren't happy in their mani- in their marriage, but manage to conceive a child. And then Flora discovers Thomas's letter to Mike, letters to Michael from the war, which Michael has kept. Gets very upset about this, burns the letters. Uh, there's a landscape that was hanging in their front room that that Thomas had painted that she insisted uh, is removed from the house. And while they're having this big argument, she goes into labour. Of course, the midwife, she comes around and said, this is woman's work, out you go. So he walks around London, finds himself at Thomas's flat, but can't bring himself to go and see him, goes back to Flora, and they, they have a sort of a fairly icy reconciliation. Things carry on like that until Michael meets up with Thomas's landlord, who says that Thomas is in prison, having been caught for cottaging. And needs needs him to go and see him. So Michael goes to see Thomas, who is really quite a lot of a mess, and asks. And Thomas asks him to go and see his mother and make sure that she's okay. So he goes and sees the mother, and they have a, a fairly circular conversation until his mother just turns around and says, "Look, I know why he's in there. I know what he's doing. I know what you mean to him. I have a house in France that the two of you can go and live in um, when when he gets out of prison." So on the day that Thomas is due to leave prison, Michael goes. Uh, packs up his stuff, gets his passport, gets two tickets to France, goes to meet him. As Thomas leaves the prison, just as Michael's going to go and say hello to him, a whole load of Thomas's friends with the uh, with his landlord in tow come and scoop him up and, and take him into a, a taxi. So Michael goes back to Flora. There's a very stiff upper lip scene where she unpacks his uh, his suitcase and basically says, I know what's going on. We are going to be living together as friends for the, the sake of the kid. You you must never get caught, and I don't don't ever want to know any details. And then the the final little sequence is where Michael and Flora are decking their son out for to go to school, and while they're at the the shops, they run into to Thomas, who says that he's gone to live in France, uh, at his mother's house, and had is a, is in London for an exhibition, um, and Michael can't bring himself to go to the exhibition. And the episode finishes there. Now, the episode is bracketed by a modern day scene between Vanessa Redgrave, who you assume is the the older Flora, and uh, playing cards with it with a young man, again, that you assume is her grandson. And that's the end of episode one. Mm. Yeah, it's the whole 
of that episode was, to me, everything that I hate about when anybody goes anywhere near the words, the good old days, because... They really weren't for, they, they weren't an for awful lot of people. And for a lot of reasons. You two and I are looking at it from slightly different sides of the same coin. That was This is still in a time when uh, homosexuality was illegal. Even saying and that would out would be loud, for another nearly 25 oh, years. Oh, yeah, it was illegal. That's the thing that gets me. And not just illegal, but actively... Socially pers- unacceptable. Yeah. Um, but also pursued, deliberately pursued by the police, and they'd have... Mm. Un- um, Adrian Provopajet. So it wasn't just a, yeah, this is technically illegal, but as long as you don't make a big fuss about it, we're going to leave you to it. No, the police actively went after mm. um, and targeted men. And so they'd have sort of my, my brain stuck on a honey trap, which it, it isn't what this was. But there were there were policemen who would station themselves in the cottages. I mean, from the flip side of the coin, looking at it from the marriage point of view, it's made perfectly clear that... The night of their wedding, when it's consummated, it is their first time, and it's pretty functional and not terribly pleasant, and uh, it's all quite formal afterwards. Oh, sorry about yes. that. I, I imagine it gets better. I, I understand it gets better. Yes. And then they sleep in separate beds. If I snore, do throw a book at me and something. With pyjamas. With p- <laughs> Those days, to me, do not represent a better time and a better form of marriage. If you're going to get married to someone, you want to know that person quite literally inside out. Don't raise your eyebrows at me. It's not the worst thing I've said. But you you do. You want to know somebody intimately. Oh, were you doing the eyebrows? I was doing the raised eyebrows well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> normally, normally I get shouted at for that sort of thing. But he has a filthier mind than I do. Uh, it's come across tonight. Yeah, no. Although, to be fair, as uh, as we've both pointed out, this thing's left some a couple of open goals. <laughs> yes. Uh, as it were. As it were. <laughs> oh, God, here we go. They're off. Yes, the good old days. Not quite so good, boys and girls. Uh, but the, the sort of trailer, for, for want of a better word, at the end of the episode <laughs> makes it quite clear that uh, we're catapulted forward in time to more or less the present day, which would make Flora... Well into her nineties. I think there's six. I think there's sixty years difference between the the two episodes. So yeah, probably mid eighties. Mm. So without further ado, Ron BT on episode two. I worry about you. You are leaving a table of friends. I want you. I don't do casual. I can't share you. I've been ashamed all my life. What were you thinking, marrying me? Did you think I'd cure you? Did you even love me? This is a letter your grandfather wrote. You never sent it. The love I feel for you, it's beyond my control. I love you, Thomas. I've always loved you. Tell me I'm not too late. Right, that was episode two of... Man in an orange shirt. Alan's got a fit of the giggles. It's, okay. uh, it's his first recording session. We'll let him off. The Will we? Yeah, the overwhelming thrill of being part of the Extermos experiment. It's an honour. And now with a straight face. <laughs> straight face? It's a bit late for that. That does go against the theme of the episode. It does a bit, yeah. Right, I'll let you give the uh, the praise and then we'll... Well, before we do... Oh, yes. We've upgraded. Tonic screwdrivers at the ready...
It's working a lot better than the last abomination. It is, and I've forgotten the name of it. So let me go and get the bottle. Right. What are we drinking? We're drinking Ordemus Pink Pepper Gin, and it's bloody lovely. It's certainly a lot better than that. I mean, it uh, craps on the pride, pride gin from a it great height. It does. Um, it's very peppery. It's, yep, um, it's got a really nice bite to it. But there are some peppery gins that are... It just makes it too bitter. Yeah. Blue d'argent. It's a bit like that. It's very peppery, but it's it's too bitter with it. This is really smooth. Goes down a treat. If you can imagine peppercorns, that's basically what this is. Oh, sorry. Would you like to try some? Oh, thank you. Yes. Crack peppercorns. This and cool. That really is, isn't it? It's like a peppercorn sauce in the steak, mm. but sweet. Mmm. Nice. I won't say it was. It's one that I've gravitated towards again, but it's very tasty and it's very drinkable and. Yeah, I'd far rather have this than the Pride. Oh, God, I... Yeah. Um, this is an easy four from me. It's a three from me, but it is nice. Um, I, I couldn't... There's nothing to not recommend it. Alan, what do you think? I think it's good. It is a bit peppery for me, to be honest, from my taste buds, but still very drinkable. Three. Three out of five. And four out of five. I'm not sure I like this being outvoted thing. Get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> How rude. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yes, what are we on? Good um, grief, you're lost for words. I am lost. It, it doesn't happen doesn't often. We've, we've caught it on tape. Plot. Fire away. Right. So we've just watched episode two of Man in, in an Orange Shirt. So we moved from the 1940s through to modern day, 2017, as it was. And the episode structures around Thomas and Flora's grandson, Adam, who is... Uh, Vet in his 30s, still living in Flora's house, closeted to her, but not to anybody else. And I don't like the term sex addiction, but basically he's addicted to casual hookups through phone apps. Is that basically what that is? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've heard of sex addiction, but surely that's just enjoying having regular sex. We'll come back to this. Yeah. yeah we're, Not that we're segueing. No, that, that's a segue we won't go down. But he, his life's pretty dysfunctional um, and to the point where he's at a celebration party for his best friend who's about to have a baby and he gets a, a message on his phone for a casual hookup and he, he leaves that, that party. And she knows fine rightly that's what he's doing um, and challenges him on it and he still leaves to go and have a shag in somebody's kitchen. While all this is going on, Flora has been trying to sell the the cottage where Michael and Thomas had spent their their week. Basically, the people she was going to sell it to have said, it's too run down, we're not interested in buying it. So she decides that to avoid death duties, she wants to give it to Adam. In the meantime, Adam has met an architect, Steve, at his work. Um, Steve had brought in his his cat for Adam to, to look after and it ended up needing to be put down. So he saw Steve at a fairly vulnerable moment and has subsequently met Steve's long-term partner, Casper. And Steve describes them as being in a a fairly open relationship. It ultimately transpires that the open relationship is only open in in one direction and that Steve is very adamantly monogamous. Adam asks Steve to come and have a look at the cottage uh, for his professional opinion as an architect. And Steve falls in love with the cottage and wants to, to do it up. And does a, a whole load of architectural drawings that Adam likes the look of, starts to see the potential of the place. So between the two of them, they start to, to do the, the place up. They discover the picture that was hang, that was the Thomas's wedding gift to Michael and Flora. And Adam takes this to Flora to say, do you know anything about it? 
this triggers an argument between the two of them where basically says basically she says she knows all about him but she doesn't want to know anything about him because she's so disgusted by the whole idea of him being gay and he storms out gets drunk has some horrific random encounters yeah i, I was trying to put a put a positive gloss on it but there really isn't there's one no either. positive yeah. gloss on that no kind of hits rock bottom and then pissed out of his skull drives to the cottage which isn't a good role model mm, there, but really. it is what it is. Where Steve is uh, is staying, and Steve looks after Adam, says that he's got feelings for him, but that he is strictly monogamous, and he couldn't be with somebody who just does the random hookups that that Adam does. So Adam deletes the the, the app off his phone, and all all seems grand. They're having a, a celebration um, of the improvements to the cottage and there's a whole lot of their friends at the cottage including Casper who um, who is a uh, an art dealer and Flora turns up with the picture and basically says it belongs here it should stay here turns out that Thomas has become quite a famous artist Casper's very interested in the in the picture looks at the back of the frame and sees that there's something odd about it and realises that there's actually a second picture hidden inside the frame. So he opens this up, and it's the picture that Thomas painted of Michael uh, when they were at the cottage, Um, and this is the man in the orange shirt. And Flora breaks down, explains exactly what uh, what happened between her and Thomas and and Michael. And then she goes home. Adam and Steve are having a heart-to-heart conversation about um, how they see the relationship going and the the text message from the the phone app goes off on on adam's phone so although he, he deleted it he's reinstalled it steve gets up, upset about this storms off adam gets drunk again drives his car again this time to go and see flora who basically has had a change of heart and says that she want wants the best for adam gives adam a letter that michael had written to thomas and never posted and this is a letter that we heard being read at the end of the first episode. We hear it again being read at the end of the second episode. At the end of the second episode, you realise that he's never posted it. It's a, it's a declaration of love from um, Michael to Thomas. So Adam takes this to to see Steve, shows in the letter. They sit by the, uh, by the Thames reading the letter together um, and then end up hand in hand. And you make the assumption that they're going to go forward yeah. as, a, as a couple. I enjoyed it. The The one thing that hit me from this was that the second part, despite being in the modern day, was actually, it painted a more grim view of homosexual relationships between men than the preceding part did. I mean, the the last part, it was, it was far more of a romance. Because the circumstances forced that on, on people, whereas actually... To me, all of this is seen through the eyes of Flora, and Flora is the central character rather than, than any of the men. Mm. It's her journey from being pretty naive to realising what's going on and being angry and reactive to it, to then having a, okay, a very long period where she shuts herself off from everything. And then at the end, she has her moment of realisation and and comes to terms with everything. So it's really Flora's journey that we're looking yes, at. Yes, it is, yeah. Um, told through her experience of two separate gay relationships mm. in her family. Now, with the Thomas and Michael relationship, it has to be romanticised because it had to be so hidden. Mm. It's all the drama of gothic novels and forbidden love and all of that. Whereas when you come to the, the modern relationship, it's still kind of societally not really accepted completely 
in terms of something long term. But the actual physical act of copying off is, is easy to manage and then easy to forget. Well, that's writ large when he hooks up on... Yeah, uh, and, and, and you see him and post-coitally... They, then they introduce each other. What's your well, name? No, they, actually, they don't. Um, they, the guy that he's hooked up with, my name's Bruno, I, I don't remember your name, and he just says, well, I didn't say it. Mm. Bruno's saying, well, um, I'd like to do this again, I'd like to meet up again. And he can't get out of there fast enough. Disappears, quickly disappears off to the loo, and Thomas throws all his clothes off on and runs off. A slightly different twist on that. Looking at it, it goes to show you the difference in two generations how fast things have moved. Because he was able to sit down with his friends, second episode, and have a full and frank conversation. A better offer came along, he was allowed to leave, and there was not an eyebrow raised at all. So things had moved on quite a bit. It was more him that was going through the challenges in his own mind rather than the society change, which was already pretty much accepted in the group that he was in. See, I don't know whether... I'm coming at this from a very different angle again, but I don't know whether it's really that big a deal for society as a whole now for a gay couple to just be completely out and open. Again, looking from the outside in, it's still far more frightening for somebody to come out. To to the friends and family, I would, I would imagine, more than just the, the public at large. But I don't think the vast, vast majority of people really give a toss now. Um, I think you're probably right. Uh, the coming out problem is, first and foremost, an internalised thing. Mm. And it, it really depends which particular bit of society you're, you're growing up in and coming out to. Because there are still big chunks of society where it's seen as completely wrong oh, and inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's not only society; it's the workplace <coughs> as well, where you know it can cause some challenges and issues. I've seen it happen to people. As I say, I, I think that was a demonstration in that of somebody dancing their own demons in their mind and making things a lot worse than they possibly could be, because a lot of his friends had already accepted them. Yes. That's a Eurovision quote. That was indeed. Anybody would think you were a gay boy. <laughs> Bitch. It's sneaking in, is Eurovision. I will stamp this out. Oh, God. I have a DVD with it's the 30, not 50, 30 happening. first winners. We're not doing Eurovision. I can't sit through that. We've Bucks got the last two years in the Brotherhood, box. Brotherhood of Man. Books Fizz, I could probably sit through again. But that's it. Abba, Sandy Shaw, Lulu, Cliff Richard. Why did Cliff Richard get dropped in there as something How to tempt me to watch? Cliff Richard. <laughs> <laughs> you were doing so well with Lulu and then... You're from Lancashire, you have some strange taste, get off. Yeah, I thought, but as a piece of television, that was, uh, was marvellous and um, very tastefully done and uh, it didn't pull any punches when it came to, particularly with the, the modern day episode, as to that is the reality of not just... Gay dating apps, dating apps, is, yeah. um, is exactly the same. At, at the end of the day, that is some people's reality, and it, it's not everybody's. No, um, certainly not. No, but bloke make bloke settled out, settles down without problems doesn't make good television. No, not really. Although it did occur to me as we were halfway through, I have yet to see a gay love story without any complications in it. There's been plenty of straight ones over the years where you know. Boy meets girl, etc., etc. Yeah, there are bumps and hurdles, but it's just following the ups and downs of that relationship until they get to happily ever after. Whenever I've what seen about a... queer as folk, no, no, that's a gay, that's a gay thing, isn't it? Well, yeah, but you were saying you hadn't seen a gay. Story. Yeah, but but that again, a lot of that deals with, and this is where, if I'm allowed to finish, 
You're the one in the minority here. So <coughs> I know. I, you yeah, I, I'm, the, I'm the minority. I'm the oppressed minority in this house. Pizza, strawberries and Grand Marnier, that's hardly oppression. How gay is that? <laughs> <laughs> You're not helping. And pink pepper gin. Get her. <laughs> Getting back to it. No, Queer as Folk, which uh, I'm sorry we've not, we're not going to get around to during this session because Queer as Folk... Uh, I've not seen the US one, but the UK version is fantastic. A, a brilliant bit of TV. Even how many years ago was that? Twenty. It's it, twenty uh, years this yeah. year. It's it was marvellous. That was folk. That was far more focused, and I think that's why it was a better piece of TV. But again, a lot. Of, some of that, not all of it, was to do with coming out to the world at large and the struggles of being a gay man. It would just be. It'd be really, really nice just to see a gay love story without any of that hassle of coming out and just focusing entirely on the relationship even if it has to be in a uh, surrounded by gay characters within the gay community entirely none of that coming out business it's just but it's kind of important it is kind of important but i think what you're saying is the bit beyond once they've done the coming out and just getting on with life yeah what the actual mechanics of a relationship Mm. rather than so the bit you can relate to well yeah but everybody can relate to it when you boil it down a relationship mm. is two people other people whether you're straight or gay other people or OP as I always refer to them get in the king way they've all got an opinion and they've all got a way of you living your life the way they want them to live and that's whether you're straight or gay yeah. that's why other people do piss me off quite a lot you may have mentioned once or twice I think it'd be interesting to see that type of experience where people are together because they alluded it on there where for example they were getting broody and wanted kids mm. which is quite interesting to see that go through now yeah. I've seen friends or we've seen friends go through that journey of doing the surrogacy getting kids mm. having one kid and then having a second one or one just having one and how brilliantly that works yeah and I remember a family member of, of mine you know was like, I'm not sure that I approve of that well I don't they really give a damn if you approve and actually, once they'd seen how it works, turned around and went, actually, that works really well. Yeah. Two fathers and, and a child. How brilliantly that works in terms of bringing them up. I've not yet seen that on television much. And I don't watch any of these mm. soap things or anything else. I haven't got time for anything like that. But I've yet to see a film with that type of lifestyle journey going through. And that's what I mean. Two of my very good friends, Paul and Stu, they're getting married in... Uh, August and they're having swans they're not having swans they actually have two little ones they've got Casey and Lucas they've adopted and they've been with them now for a a few years and it's a lovely family unit and they've not only adopted they've fostered as well uh, to see if that would work and um, it's a perfectly loving stable environment for children but again Mm. like you say I've never seen that and it will be an interesting story to tell but you'd have to have some something else to make it a bit more interesting in the same way as Boy meets girl and there are no complications does not make for interesting television. Boy meets boy and there are no complications does not make for interesting television. No, I'm with you, but I mean, I don't mean complications insofar as we've done boy meets boy. Oh no, I've got to come out the end happily ever after. It's been done and done and done. How about boy meets boy, other complications happily ever after. That would be nice to see. It always tends to run down the boy meets boy fighting society, I'm repressed happily ever after well we've done that can we not have just a normal gay relationship on television without any of the the world is oppressing our relationship sort of thing that's what i'd like i really genuinely like to see that was there anybody who had who wasn't 
out in Cucumber. I've not seen Unfortunately, I've not was seen that the any one of those. Lawyer? There was a lawyer and it all got a bit messy. Yeah, he was a lawyer. Sorry, Russell T. Davis, not that he's ever likely to listen to this. It wasn't terribly good. Um, <laughs> but it, it didn't have... It didn't have big coming out dramas. What's Ross right. T. Davis in just recently? And I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Oh, years and years. years and years. Years and years was, yeah. Years and years was four absolutely brilliant episodes and then a long episode of Black Mirror tacked on the end. And it really did jar that final couple of episodes. I've, I've still not seen it, I'm ashamed to say. There's, there's two bits of TV recently that I want to see. One's Years and Years, the other's Chernobyl. Good omens? Three then. But folding back to the whole gay drama thing, and I've said this many, many, many times about lots and lots of things, the problem I've got with anything that is perceived to be, and you can't really call homosexuality a minority anymore, or what's what's the word, but any drama that focuses on an issue tends to make the issue the issue rather than than just telling the story... As it as if it was perfectly normal and therefore not making an issue of it. If am I coming across well? Yeah, but there? if you don't make an issue of things, then you have really dull television. No, no, I don't. I don't mean it's an alternative way of life compared with how things used to be perceived. Yes, um, but without any of the mm. rather portraying that portraying. Uh, and I know it's American, but what about Will and Grace? Because oh, nobody seen. comes out in Will and Grace. They are campus fucking Christmas. I was going to say flag waving from the word go, but Jack, yes, you're right. Um, but there, there aren't any coming out dramas there. I've never seen Will and Grace. Um, what? It, it is fun. Yeah, there is. The, I know that the girl in it called, is called Deborah Messing with that wonderful ginger hair. Mm. That's about as much as I need to know. I should have watched it just for her, really. You, you haven't seen Karen. She, she's very, very entertaining. Hmm. Anastasia Beaverhausen. Beaverhausen. Yep. <laughs> That's her alter ego. <sighs> we should do some Will and Grace at some point. Uh, Sex in the City. And also a bit of a low and low and bummed by the OEF. <laughs> <laughs> We're segueing quite a long way. Alan has learned very quickly what the Extamos experiment is all about. Alcohol What, gin and bullshit? <laughs> right, so shall we move on to metrosexuality? Apparently, Yes. Metrosexuality was another gay-themed drama on Channel 4 from 1999. <clears throat> so it's kind of contemporary with Queer as Folk, but it's set around South London rather than Manchester. It takes itself a lot less seriously. Queer as Folk, it, I mean, it, it was a brilliant, groundbreaking piece of television. Um, fantastic character pieces, but it really is terribly worthy. Do you think? Oh, yeah. Wait till you see Metrosexuality. Mate, I haven't seen Queer as Folk since it was first on, but I thought it was really good. I didn't, I didn't see it as preachy and or in, in any way sort of... It was groundbreaking, and pretty much by definition, anything groundbreaking has to be preachy. Now, that was one of the few things that I've watched that is groundbreaking that I haven't felt lectured at that you should be accepting oh, it, it, of it. It was sufficiently well written. Um, and it was brilliantly written. It's an excellent piece piece of television. In terms of a worthy piece of television, it it's more worthy than metrosexuality. Metrosexuality is more fun. Mm. It's, it's very sort of comic book in feel. So this is all set in South London. This is all set in South London. Um, it is written and directed by Ricky Beadle Blair, and was the debut of Noel Clark. Ah, yes, Mickey and Smith. 
Kwame, who's his character in Metrosexuality, is kind of the central character. And he kind of has has the opposite to coming out in that he's a straight boy being brought up in a gay household. So he's coming in. <laughs> That's just what I was thinking of that expression, <laughs> coming in. <laughs> Bit of self-enjoyment. <laughs> Who knows what he got up to in his own room? We need more gin, incredibly. We're, we're both at low tide. So you top up the glasses... And when we do, it's Ron VT on... What are we... Are we going for episode one? We're going for episode one of Metrosexuality. But if the final scene isn't the one that I think it is, we'll be watching the final scene of episode two because it's just a joy to behold. Right, that was the first episode of Metrosexuality from 1999. Yes. Um, it was fantastic. No, it was not fantastic. But again, again, we're looking at this from very different angles. Now, before we started this, you said it was sort of queer as folk, but not taking itself quite so seriously and quite as worthy. Is that what, that's the general gist of what... Um, I said it was at the same time as queer as folk and, uh, and on Channel 4. They... It doesn't take itself as seriously as, as Queer as Folk. It is much more technicolour, comic book, yeah. jump between scenes, no long speeches, and nobody having any coming out dramas at all, which you did say I was did what you wanted. I did say was what I wanted to see. But that was the complete other end of the spectrum. If it, It's not for me, but I will say many things about it in its favour. The production and editing and the way it's directed is all very, very... It's, that's way ahead of its time. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly as you would make something now. The plot is pretty much what I've just requested, but the way it's done... For me personally, I could happily never see that again. I imagine it's targeted very much at a gay audience and pretty much nobody else, because that did not appeal to me at all. It was too overtly uh all the characters were caricatures to me and they were well as i said it it was very comic book yeah and coming at it cold bear in mind i've never i've never really gone to gay nightclubs or been on the gay scene in any way that was like another world to me whereas You've seen that whole side and that whole gamut of characters mm. already in real life. Maybe not gathered all together in one colossal hit, <laughs> but you're familiar with all of those characters, whereas I am not. So it was a bit. That was a bit of a. I hesitate to say culture shock, but it was. Um, I mean, the other thing is, there's an awful lot of plot strands in that mm. that were thrown together yeah. all at once um, as establishment for a long, longer running yeah. series. Yeah. So just say a little bit about the plot. Plot really uh, centres around Kwame, who's a 17-year-old straight lad in Brixton who lives with his 
gay dad, Max, played by Ricky Beetle Blair, who's the um, creator of the series. And there's also his estranged dad, who is uh, Max's ex-partner, who has now taken up with another boyfriend. There is Kwame's on-off girlfriend, Asha, who works in a hairdresser's, and her co-worker, who has been desperately trying to attract the attention of one of the girls who comes into the salon to get her, her hair done. There's also the owner of the salon, who is one of Max's best friends, who is going through marital problems with his wife, who is a relationship counsellor who has no idea how to maintain a relationship for herself. There's their very deaverish young daughter. There are Max's, uh, so there's Kwame's two best friends, um, one of whom fancies Kwame's dad, one of whom fancies Robin, who's an employer at the skate park that Max owns. And so there's a huge number of characters that was thrown into 25 minutes, all with their interrelations. And yeah, it jumped from scene to scene. It jumped from relationship to relationship. Oh, there's also um, Max's sister and her girlfriend. Yes. So there's lots of characters all thrown together. And those relationships do continue and develop throughout the series. Yeah. There's nothing on a on a sort of um, storyline level I can fault. It was, I think, it was very much ahead of its time. It screamed this was on Channel Four. But Channel Four did some great stuff. I'm and not that wasn't it. <laughs> not a fan. Not a fan. Why are you not a fan, Alan? It's trying to portray something that, in reality, is a load of people still trying to act eighteen when they're a lot older than that. Your face expression at the opening sequence, I will remember for years to come. That was quite amusing. That's the gayest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. I mean, I'm just trying to picture now Noel Clark or Noel Anthony Clark, as he's credited on this, first major starring role. Mum, Dad, this is it. This is my big break. And Here, then that kicks in. Here's my ass in spangly <laughs> chaps. <laughs> the face of Mum and Dad trying to look absolutely thrilled for young Noel who's made his big break on national television um, Noel Clark as ever he's, he's brilliant I mean he's a great actor and he's uh, I he don't think con- there's a bad performance in this there wasn't a bad performance in it I'm not knocking any of the performances or the actors or anything in it or it's just too over the top for me it's um, did a queer folk come before or after this it was about the same time. More or less. I, th- I think, I think there this was, was resemblances of queer and folk but just stepped up another level into the... I mean, I've, I've not seen people like that even in the centre of London when I was living and working there so much, even at sort of Q-Bar and next to CXR. You the didn't next see level? Like that. That's like going from second to fifth gear in one hit. That just was accelerate hard. Yeah. To the floor. <laughs> 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 no, I'm not going down that route with you. It's going to end up filthier than it does with him on a normal podcast. I can see why it appeals to you because you're you have the capacity to camp it up far more than I. Do. We've seen the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking rude. Besides, I mean, I, I, there's also, and I thought this halfway through. There's the north south divide because South London and Lancashire are worlds apart. They're only, what is it, 250 miles apart, 300 miles tops between us. There's a chasmic difference culturally between us, and that is writ large. If you take queer as folk and metrosexuality, that's sort of the difference between North and South. And actually Brixton has always had its 
culture and life in the same way that that Camden did and has kind of become commercialised now. Mm. Um, same Soho. But who was it yeah. was saying? Um, somebody said to me that Canal Street was ruined because of Queer as Folk. It became this straight magnet for straight people going to see what gay nightlife was like, and it ruined it. I'll go do, queer watching. Queer watching is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, you get loads and loads and loads of um, tickly hen parties yeah, who will want to parties. go to gay bars, yeah. and it's oh, we feel so safe here. Lovely that you feel safe, but it doesn't stop you touching everybody's ass as they walk past. Right. Now, I mean, I, in my naivety, yeah, that, I that, remember. That's quite a big deal. Um, and, no, I can understand And why, a lot yeah. of gay bars, a lot of, sort of big city centre gay bars now say no hen parties. I can fully understand why. That's, that doesn't uh, surprise me at all. I'll never forget my first time on Canal Street. It was purely by accident. Uh, this is <laughs> Oh, yes, I found myself there by accident. In a group of about 20 people, I will hasten to add, who didn't know our way around Manchester, and we found ourselves in this bar, and we looked around, and all these men are dressed in leather, with caps and things, and... It wasn't the Rembrandt, was it? Because that's not entry level. It's the Rembrandt, (laughs) which is one that looks like a castle inside. I don't know, I've never been in the Rembrandt. I I have no idea. I I couldn't tell you if you told me the name. Anyway, but that was when we realised we were in a gay bar, and that's my very first experience with this group of people all looking utterly bemused. But that was pre-queer as folk. But I do remember one of my mates, David, telling me that, yeah, it just ruined Canal Street for him. The only thing... Well, that's a fucking shame for him, really, isn't it? I, I doubt Canal Street was really intending to appeal to him anyway, if that place ruined him. Well, he was gay. He was a devout homosexual. Do we get to be devout? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but um, places like Canal Street don't appeal to everybody who's gay. Oh, he's got his preach face on. Well, his glasses dry, that's the problem. <laughs> well, whose oh. fault is that? You've got legs, go and get it. They seem to be blocked. For We've never reason. had this element of the podcast before. <laughs> I'm not sure I appreciate it. I'm feeling oppressed. Are you feeling... I'm going to say you feel... (laughs) What is next on the list? I've forgotten. Oh, it's Rick and Steve. Rick and Steve, right. Now, you've been going on about this for quite a while, so I'm looking forward to this, because you're rarely wrong about something like this when you go on about it at this level. Rick and Steve is a little short comedy from early 2000s, I think, and it's stop-motion animation, (laughs) and it's... Quite filthy. Am I, so we're down the Podge and Rog line, sort of. <laughs> they don't sing. Oh, no. But Podge and Rog don't always sing. No, there was only, he said there's only two episodes and we've, we've seen both Only two that I've, I've come across and we've covered both of those because yeah. they're entertaining. They are. So shall we crack on with Rick and Steve? Yeah, which one are we watching? We're watching the pilot episode. That'll do nicely. Without further ado, Ron VT. You're welcome here in our little queer community. Whether or not you're hot or if you've got HIV, you may just find the love of your life. Your same-sex husband, your same-sex wife. There's Dana and Kirsten and Evan and Sean. But all our lives just suck compared to Rick and Steve. Rick and Steve. Happy and gay like you wouldn't believe. Loving life, hating girls. They're the happiest gay several million points out of ten that was fantastic 
Would you like to give us a pricey of what we just watched? I'm not certain I can. First episode of Rick and Steve, the happiest gay couple in all of the world. Um, it's a stop motion animation, really quite filthy. It's the story of Rick and Steve, who are this gay couple. They're lesbian friends and they're, they're differently abled friend Evan and his much younger husband. And also Rick and Steve's cat, Pussy. So it starts off with um, Dana, um, their lesbian friend, asking for sperm so that they can have a baby. Um, And Rick isn't sure whether he wants to do that or not. So in the meantime, uh, Dana and Kirsten, the lesbian couple, decide that they're going to find sperm somewhere else and start looking on the Internet, trying to cop off with a gay bloke because Kirsten tends to get mistaken for a young lad. So they meet somebody on the internet, spends the entire evening chatting away to him, only to find that she, she's a her. Rick and Steve, in the meantime, have decided that what they need to spice up their relationship is a three-way. So they go to an, uh, a gay club and completely fail to find anybody. So then go to the park afterwards, meet up with the porn star that they're absolutely fixated on, only to find that this, again, is a woman with a strap-on. Snap-on? I'll never look at a snap-on tool set in my garage the same. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and at the end, they decide that they're going to go ahead with the pregnancy. Rick, we want your sperm. Hello. I thought we agreed to call it Axel Grease. Wow, really? Why? Because we're vegetarians, dumbass. I'm so honored. What's wrong with mine? It has your genes. Rick, I want to have your baby. I'm so excited. Me too. I can't believe it. <laughs> She's ovulating. What's his excuse? You're ovulating now? Yes. So you want it right now? Yes. How do we... Don't even think about it. We're doing the turkey baster method. You, throw a party in this. Girls, it's been delicious, but, uh... (laughs) My AIDS is acting up something fierce. We better go. That was insanely brilliant. That was wonderful. Now that is how you do a parody. Absolutely fantastic. I loved every second of that. I am sat here genuinely crying with laughter at how good that was. Every single stereotype, I mean, regardless of the fact whether it's gay or not, it doesn't make any odds, that was just... I've said this before as well. People go on about stereotypes. The fact is about stereotypes, they exist for a reason. If you turn them into comedy and you look at any comedy series that you care to to mention, it is full of stereotypes because... They are the people that people can identify with and therefore take the piss out of. This is the most piss I have ever seen taken out of (laughs) any stereotype ever. And it's bloody wonderful. Oh, that was fantastic. I cannot recommend that enough. That's the most hilarious thing I've seen in years. Second that. (laughs) I mean, I've I've seen them all before. I I do think they're hilarious. (laughs) These days, it is very rare for something to make me crippled with laughter. When was this made? It'd be at least 10 or 12 years ago. The the nearest humour that I can appropriate it to is South Park. And I've never laughed this hard at South Park. I would urge anybody to track it down. Rick and Steve. Rick and Steve, the happiest gay couple in all the world. It ran for two series. It's all available on DVD. By it this is. point, the, the you've just heard the theme tune, or the theme song. So that really should give you a flavour of what the actual programme's like. Essentially, it's... Uh, Stop motion animation with... Filth. Lego figures, I was about to say. But filth, yeah. And that covers every single base. 
But I think we've had a jolly gay evening. Um, we have. We have. But um, my standout from tonight is comfortably Rick and Steve. That we've, was We've celebrated brilliant. quite. Rick, Rick and Steve, I, I'd actually forgotten quite how much fun it is. Got to see more of that. Boys and girls, hunt that one down. You will not be disappointed. Hilarious it, stuff. It, it is fun. The, that was a setting the scene episode. Later episodes are better. It gets but, better than that. Well, We miss lines of dialogue we were laughing that hard. You'll never look at Lego the same way again. <laughs> Spaffing into a wine glass. No, that's... As may not be a surprise, the pregnancy doesn't go entirely according to plan. It's the angry lesbian who actually ends up pregnant. Oh, the, it's just the stereotypes. My AIDS is playing up. We need to go. What? It's just the, the playing on stereotypes. The, the whiny neighbour who doesn't like anything or the old lady that has a herd of cats or whatever in sitcoms the stereotype is king or queen that was definitely queen was it was definitely queen but it was so skillfully done yeah i, I was i'm so blown away by rick so, and steve some of the later episodes are funnier <laughs> there's one where they go on a um on a cruise together and it's just absolutely well they go on a cruise the boat starts to sink and you have been saving that up for a long time, and it was worth the wait. It's worth seeing. It is. And with that, it's about ready to sign off. It is. So this has been our Pride special. A happy Pride Month to all our gay and lesbian friends out there. I hope you've enjoyed our ramblings. I hope we've not offended anybody, because that's certainly not our intention. And probably by the time you listen to this, we hope you've had a happy Pride Month, because this is likely to screech in at one minute to midnight on the very last day of the month. <laughs> Thank you, as ever, everyone. Thank you, Alan, for joining us as Thank our you. guest commentator tonight. We shall be back in a couple of weeks with our next podcast. Whatever that's going to turn out to be. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Bye now. Bye. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton, Ken Moss and Alan Fogg, and the title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Trentham, Staffordshire, and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.